0: Awesome, how you doing church? Who is enjoying that backing track? It was like a talk show, like Dr. Phil or something going on in church. You can take your seats. Was that just me, that saxophone, those pleasant soothing sounds? Very good. How you all doing? Everyone's doing well? Excited you came to church this morning? That's a good thing. We're going to start today uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read three verses, as Pastor Jen did say. If you don't have your Bible or your phone, we will throw it up on the screen behind me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16 says this. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. There's a word that everybody loves. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient, another great word that we love, children, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. God, we pray this morning that your word will shape us, it will mold us it will transform us from the inside out so that we can give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, some years ago I was presenting uh, some high school seminars around the subject of partying safe. And so part of my role was to go around to year 9, year 10, year 11 students and talk to them about the perils of uh, alcohol abuse, drug use in a party situation and so I'll travel from usually major, the major public high schools informing them of the dangers and encouraging them that they can still party but party safe and so this would usually go on for sort of two, three weeks uh, every year where I would speak to a whole bunch of high school students And this one particular high school, it was the afternoon session, it was the final session of the day, usually you could get three to four seminars in a day, each seminar was about 40 to 50 minutes in length, and this was the final session of the day, and so I arrived at the school, and as per the usual process, you have to check in at the office, uh, show them that you're actually a legitimate certified seminar presenter, and then they usually give you some instructions of where The seminar will be held and usually that's in a classroom or a lecture theatre or and I'd been to this school before and the receptionist uh, had informed me oh this is where this is where the lecture this is where the seminar will be held and as she showed me the school map I was a little perplexed because I was familiar with the school layout and where she had directed me to go was the dance studio. And I thought, that's an odd place to hold a party safe seminar in a dance studio. And I got her to double check. I'm like, can you just, can you just double check? Because I'm, I'm just not sure that that's, that's going to have the correct AV gear. And she said, no, this is where we've currently got you booked in. I said, okay, cool. So I grabbed my briefcase and, and uh, all my things and I started to proceed to the dance studio to present a party safe seminar to year 10 students. As I arrived at the dance studio it became abundantly clear to me that I was in the wrong place I had stumbled across a classic ballet lesson and so there was about a dozen to 18 young girls on the bar in their tutus and leotards and I walked over and I said hi my name's Jared and I'm here to present a party safe Seminar and and the girls just looked at me as teenage girls do when they're a little uncomfortable. They're like, "Who are you? And what are you about?" And the teacher came over and said, "Sorry, w- w- what are you doing?" And I said, "Look, this is where I've been. This is where I've been instructed to, uh, you know, present the seminar." And they look, there's, there's, "There's been a confusion. This is not where you're meant to be." And as much as I wanted to stay and show the girls, you know, some of my dance moves and how you know you can really take your dance to the next level. It became really, really clear to me that I was the odd one out. I had no leotards on, thankfully. I had no tutu. I was not dressed for the occasion. And it became really clear that I was the odd one out. In an environment like this on a Sunday morning, you and I, we don't feel like the odd one out. Most of us, if not all of us, we all kind of think the same and we all sing the same songs and we all worship God. And in an environment like this, it's, it's very, very easy to fit in. But when we step beyond these walls and when we step beyond our Sunday services or our one hour connects, there can be no doubt, church, particularly in the year 2023, we have all felt some form of pressure. The force to conform, to to compromise, to be shaped and to be moulded by this world and its culture. Does anyone know what I'm talking about this morning? Or am I the only honest one in the room? Recently I read about a 105-year-old lady who was asked, what is the best thing about being your age? And she replied, well, there's not much peer pressure. Not many of us are 105, so we all still feel that kind of pressure. Although we do have a 102-year-old in Yukana, Mrs. Muller. I'm sure she's at chapel this morning. And if she's not, we'll ask why, all right? The first question that we should always ask when we open the Scriptures and approach the Scriptures is, what was the original intent and why did the author write that? What was the original intent behind Peter's words... And why did he write the letter? The why behind the words. Peter was the author of this particular passage of Scripture we just read. And he was writing to followers, Gentile believers, non-Jews of Jesus who were facing persecution and pressure to conform. It was happening back then and it's still happening today. They were facing persecution and they were facing pressure for what they believed. And he was exhorting them and he was encouraging them to live your life worthy of the calling of what God has put on your life. A life where you stand out. A life where you would be different. A life where you would be the odd one out like I was in that dance studio that afternoon. Some translations read a little bit different to the one that I read earlier. Some say gird up. Your loins, In other words, prepare your minds. The original audience that, that was reading this letter, they would have had long and loose garments. And so he used a literal language to illustrate a deeper meaning. He was saying, let nothing hinder your journey. Let nothing disengage yourself from all that would hold you back from what God has called you to do. And go and resolutely live your life in obedience to Jesus. See, I think for some of us, the biggest obstacle to following Jesus is not about having enough faith, not about keeping up our Bible reading plans. I think some of the, the, the biggest obstacle to following Jesus is our craving to fit in. But God has created you and I to a higher calling. He's created us to be different. I want to share around that thought today, different to make a difference, different to make a difference, changing the world without the world changing you, changing your world without the world changing you. See when the, la- when the world is loud on perversion, we ought to stand on purity. When the, la- when the world is loud on greed, we ought stand on generosity. When the world is loud on hate we ought stand on humility. When the world is loud on self-centeredness, we ought stand on selflessness. We're called to be different, church. We're not called to fit in. I won't lie to you, church. The last three months in our youth ministry has been quite a challenge. Who would have thought? Teenagers and misbehaving. Crazy, right? Last three months has been quite a challenge, and our youth team have done a brilliant job in, in, in managing a whole bunch of new teenagers that have come into our youth space, which of course we're excited and thrilled about. But if I could pinpoint the issue, the issue is we're dealing with a world culture and a kingdom culture colliding. And so as a youth team and as someone who oversees the youth ministry, we've, we've brainstormed the world. what could we do To help make this environment more palatable. And maybe how do we become more contemporary as a youth ministry? Or maybe we minimise praise and worship. Or maybe we shorten the preaching. Maybe we don't talk about the Bible as much. Maybe we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I felt so convicted in my spirit to say, now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to be different. We're not called to be the scouts group. We're not called to be a sporting club. We're called to be the church of Jesus Christ. And our difference is the presence of God. We're called to be different. And that presents a whole bunch of challenges. That presents a whole bunch of obstacles. But now is not the time for the church to say, well, how can we dilute it a little bit more? How can we water it down a little bit more? First question is, what was the original intent of the author's meaning? Second question, whenever you read Scripture, is, what's happening in me when I read that? What's happening inside of me? And to answer that, we have to look at the word that Peter uses late in that passage, the word holy. That's a word that we don't often use in church anymore. The word holy, some of us recoil in our seats Because words create pictures. And sometimes we can have true statements in church that create untrue imagery in our minds. Let me give you an example. If I was to say to you, God is our judge, true statement, you can agree with me? God is our judge, but let me tell you what imagery that automatically creates in most of our minds. We think Western world 21st century court prosecuting and sentencing. True? And so all of a sudden, that's how we view God. That's how we perceive God as this God with a funny wig and a gown on, banging a hammer saying, sentence to death. And that's our perception of God. And yet the original meaning of judge, if we were to go to the Hebrew, means defender and protector. In fact, before King David and King Saul, God had instituted judges to protect these people, to defend these people. And all of a sudden, when we get the correct intent and the correct meaning around the word, we have a different picture of who God is. And so when we say things like, God wants us to be holy, all of a sudden we can have untrue imagery in our minds. By the 1950s in churches, the word holy became a list of things that we can or cannot do. I mean, I wasn't alive in 1950, but I read a book and that's what it said. You can't go to these sort of movies. I remember when Gone with the Wind came out and the church, well, I don't remember it, but I read a book about it, and there was a statement that said that we shouldn't go and watch that movie because there was swearing in it. You know what the swear word was? Excuse my French, damn. And it was at the end of the movie. We develop phrases in churches, things like, God doesn't want you to be happy, He wants you to be holy. And so we have this false dichotomy where we had people in church, but they were grumpy. When we misunderstand the origins of the word like holy, it leads us to two places legalism, those that keep the rules, abide by the list, or lawlessness. Our ah, grace covers everything. And yet the etymology of the word holy has got nothing to do with a list, has got nothing to do with rules. The word holy means to be set apart, separated, inspired. I was at my in-laws earlier this week and my mother-in-law, she is an amazing cook and that's not the reason I married Anne, just to clarify, but she is an amazing cook and And whenever we're there, I mean, she she doesn't necessarily get out the fine china, but she has this amazing display cabinet and she collects salt and pepper shakers and just all these amazing ones. And never once, never once have I ever seen her get the salt and pepper shakers out when I've been there. Never once. There was one occasion at Christmas time a couple of years back where she didn't get a salt and pepper shaker out, she got a gravy boat out. It was like all our Christmases had come at once. Mother-in-law's got the gravy boat out. This is amazing. But whenever I see that salt and pepper shaker cupboard, I mean, their use is to hold the condiments, salt and pepper, but they're set apart from the regular stuff. They're set apart from the everyday use. That's how we ought to view our lives and our calling that God has placed on each and every one of us. We're set apart. We're separated. The first thing that God breathed on that when, when we read in Scripture was what? Dirt, clay. And from that dirt came what? Came us. And so we're inspired dirt. You came to church and that's what you heard. You're inspired dirt. Leave now and take that with you. So the word holy has got nothing to do with a list. has got nothing to do with rules. The word holy is God has entrusted you with an inspired gift to be set apart, and he's asking the question to you and I, what are you going to do with it? That's what holy means. You've been given a gift. You're inspired dirt. You've been separated. You've been set apart. What are you going to do with it? For centuries, the church has believed that holiness is something that can be possessed or retained. And with enough education and enough willpower and enough discipline, We can be holy within our own self-righteousness. Holiness is not something that we possess. Rather, it's something that possesses us. Holiness is not only our position. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that before we were born, God had predestined us to be holy. That's our position. Holiness is not just a position, but it's also a pursuit. Call me old school, but God still has a standard. God still has kingdom values that are found in here for his followers and believers and his disciples to look to, to get our bearings, to navigate this thing called life. God is trying to get our attention, to have our eyes set on bigger and greater things. Any time that you treat something that is sacred like your life, your holy life, you know what we call that? We call that profanity. When you treat something that is sacred, when you treat it common, it's called profanity. Here's my question. Are you treating your life? And when I say your life, I mean your soul. And when I say your life, I mean your body. I mean, can we talk about how many Easter eggs you consumed last week? Can we have an honest conversation about that? When I talk about your life, I'm talking about your mind. What's it feeding on? Are you treating your life with profanity? Because God has called you to great things. And too often, followers of Jesus, we will treat our wives with profanity. It is something that is sacred and yet we treat it common. Why? Because we want to fit in. Because we don't want to stand out. Because we don't want to be different. We don't want to be that guy or that girl in that room that says something. So when a conversation in the staff lunchroom leads in a certain direction, how do you navigate that? Do you treat it common or do you treat it sacred? When it's a Wednesday evening and no one else is around and you're in front of a computer screen, can we have that conversation in church? We're on our mobile phones and we've got unchecked roaming. How do you navigate that situation? Can we talk about that this morning, church? Can we go a little bit old school this morning and talk about what God has called us to, that we shouldn't treat. Our lives are something common, but you are called to great things. So why would you have yourself in the gutter when you could be up here? He's called you to great things, friend. Three thoughts on being different to make a difference from Peter's encouragement found in 1 Peter. Verse 14, he says, so you must live as God's obedient children. He's making a reference there to the Old Testament story found in the book of Exodus, where the Israelites are leaving Egypt, which is a picture, a picture for you and I of our salvation journey. You must li- live as God's obedient children. Obedience is inconvenient and uncomfortable. I won't lie to you. Obedience to God is inconvenient and uncomfortable, and it will cost you something. But hear my words so clearly this morning, church. The price of obedience will cost you far less than the pain of regret ever will. Prevention is always better than cure. And is there grace for every sin? Absolutely. But the cost of obedience will cost you far less than the pain of regret ever will. Obedience is inconvenient. It's uncomfortable and it will cost you something. Here's the next thing about being different to make a difference. Verse 14, again, Peter says, Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. We often talk about in church, I want to live God's will. I want to be in the center of God's will. And that's a great statement to make. But here's the reality of it. His will means his way. <laughs> his will means his plan. His agenda. His agenda. And though we will never equal him, Peter's encouraging us to imitate him. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. And that's where I think in a lot of ways the church has gone down a slippery slope where we thought abiding by a list is the way to get closer to God. That's what the Pharisees thought. That's what the Sadducees thought. That's what the religious folk in Jesus' time thought. If we can hold to the rules, then we will know God. Then we will have some sort of elitism over people, and sadly, that's where the church has gone so wrong because we've thought we've become the moral policeman. Because we've we, we we live a certain way, therefore we can tell others because we really know God. We're the ones that are close to God because we follow the list, we follow the rules. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is the path to holiness. I've been walking with Jesus for only a few short 15 years and I have much to learn. But let me tell you something that I learned very early in my Christian walk. Is that I went from looking at my former life, my old life, and I, I used to think, man, I wish I could still do that. And as I progressed and as I matured and I, as I understood God's heart for my life, I went from I wish I could still do that to I don't want that for my life anymore. Things change as you start to mature and as you start to fall more in love with the person of Jesus, you understand that he's called you to something far greater, far bigger than what you once were. And you look back on that now and you think, I I can't believe I even wanted that. It was like the Israelites when they were freed from slavery and they were wandering in the desert and what did they say to themselves? They looked at one another and said, we'd be better off back in slavery. What? And yet, how often do we do that? We look at our old, oh man, before Jesus, I was the man. You know, I'd be out every weekend partying. I had all, I had all the women, you know, I was just, I was the man. Tell me about your life now. Oh, well, you know, then and Jesus' family, and, you know, now I go to church on Sunday. And we glorify our past and we. It shouldn't be that way. What God wants for your life and what you want for your life, there shouldn't be this constant tension. In fact, holiness is reducing the distance between what you want and what God wants for your life, minimizing the tension. Holiness is not pleading and begging God to adopt my values. Like I said, I'm old school. God has a standard. And it's my responsibility and your responsibility to look to those standards to get our bearings to navigate life. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, not believe in me. Believing in Jesus is the start of our salvation, 100%. But following Jesus and believing in Jesus are two very different postures. Following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus may cost you friendships. Following Jesus may inconvenience you. Following Jesus may be a little uncomfortable and may even disrupt our lives. It's an invitation that he issues to you and I. Believing Jesus is, he's my saviour. Following Jesus is, he's my Lord, and whatever you want for my life, I'm a living sacrifice. You know, when we read the story about Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham and Isaac took his son up the mountain to prepare a sacrifice, we often think that Isaac was a small boy. But when you think about it, and when you actually do a little bit of research, Isaac was around 20 years old. And so Isaac is a perfect picture that he got himself on the altar with the help of Abraham as a living sacrifice. God, whatever you want for my life. Maybe some of us need to get back on the altar and say, God, I'm a living sacrifice. I've lived to my agenda and my plan and my way for far too long. And God's calling his church back to a standard, back to the holy living. Here's the last thought. God is sovereign, but man has responsibility. So often our natural response when we face a challenge or a struggle is, can we just pray about that? And I'm not here to diminish prayer. We can pray and we should pray. And I believe in the power of prayer and I'll say that from the outset. But if you've got a lust problem and you want to move in with your partner, that's like praying not to have an accident and not wearing your seatbelt. There's an order. And God is sovereign, but man has responsibility. We also have to take responsibility for our choices. Responsibility means establishing commitment. Responsibility means developing habits, patterns in your life. And not outsourcing that responsibility or not abdicating your responsibility to prayer. Let's just pray about that. No, maybe we could just make some difficult choices and maybe we could eliminate some things in our lives. No, I'd prefer just to pray about it on a Sunday. Or maybe you've got to make some hard choices that are going to inconvenience you on a Wednesday afternoon. In an environment like this, it's easy. Oh, Let's just pray about it. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing prayer. But we cannot abdicate our responsibilities as followers of Jesus. Good messages, good preaching isn't always to be agreed with. In fact, I think good messages cause us to wrestle and cause us to ask some questions. So here's a few questions. I'd love to finish up with. Is there anything about my life right now that stands out when I walk out these doors? And I'm not talking about the Jesus sticker on the back of your car. I'm not talking about the amazing grace shirt that you might wear. I'm talking about on the inside. Talking about integrity. Talking about honesty. Is there anything in my life that stands out right now? Here's another question to answer. What is my biggest fear when it comes to being different? you got to name it. What's your biggest fear? Oh, I'm afraid of what they'll say. Listen to me. If you're worried more about the fear of man than the fear of God, following Jesus becomes incredibly difficult. What did Paul say? I am unashamed of the gospel. What am I afraid of when it comes to being different? Is another question. Am I more inclined towards my happiness than holiness? We love that Jesus is my saviour and He is. Ah, I'm not real keen on Jesus being my Lord. I still want to do things my way. Is there anything about my life that stands out right now? What am I afraid of when it comes to being different? And am I more inclined towards happiness rather than holiness? Would you stand with me, church? Perhaps this morning has been a little less palatable. But we preach grace and truth here at Civic. And you can't have a message like this, I think, without an opportunity for God's people to respond. And so in just a few short moments, the team's going to sing that song that we finished worship with. Speak the name of Jesus. And just where you are. And if we can keep the lights up, that would be good, actually. Just where you are, just standing where you are. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to repent. Yeah, that's a word that we still use in church. Yeah, it's a little old-fashioned, I know. And you might not hear it very often, but it's still a word. Maybe it's an opportunity where you've wandered far from God or you've gone off in your own agenda and your own plan and God's calling you back to a holy way of living. Maybe there's stuff in your life right now And I don't need to name it because you already know what it is. That you need to bring to the altar of God again and say, God, I'm tying myself to this altar. I am a living sacrifice. I don't just believe in you, but I want to follow you. I want to set my eyes on the greater things. Maybe it's an opportunity simply for you to examine your heart and say, God, what would it be? What do I need to change? Maybe He'll... Put a bit of courage in your heart for this week. That when you go into that environment, not like this, not with the pretty music and the lights, because this is all about to change in about seven and a half minutes and we walk out there. And that's where Christianity really begins. This is the easy part. This is where we can fuel up. This is where God can impart something into you. But when you take a step out those glass doors, that's where the rubber hits the road, friends. That's the coal face When no one else is around, where the worship team's not here, the guy with the microphone or the girl with the microphone, Pastor Brendan ain't there. It's you and the Holy Spirit. That's when you got to make a choice. I'm called for greater things. There is a higher calling on my life. I am unashamed of the gospel. I am salt and light. So come on as the team begins to sing. Just take a few moments. Examine your heart. God, what would it be? What needs to change? How do I respond from a message like this?